0: This episode is brought to you by Rad Dudes Who Love Nature.
1: Hi podcast listeners. If you're like us, there are loads of environmental problems that you'd like to solve, and maybe one or two where you wonder why no one else is paying attention to them. For me, for at least a couple decades, the environmental impact of roads has been top of that list. And so I was delighted to encounter Daryl Jones' book, A Clouded Leopard in the Middle of the Road, which is all about the environmental devastation caused by roads, something that might surprise even diehard environmentalists. The book also deals with solutions to those impacts of roads, and we're happy to invite Dr. Jones onto the podcast to talk all about it. As always, you can get in touch with us at Twitter at Wildlife Cast, and you can email us at UrbanWildlifeCast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. And don't forget to get a copy of Exploring Philly Nature, a guide for all four seasons, which includes guidance on how to cruise roads on your bike or on foot to find dead animals. On that happy note, on with the episode.
2: I'm Daryl Jones. I'm a professor emeritus, as they say in from Griffith University in Brisbane but these days i find myself living in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia because my partner has got a high level job in a university over here so this was the perfect opportunity in the middle of covid to finally take a earlier than expected or planned retirement so that i could become a full-time writer so i'm now a, a full-time writer i've been i've been you're living uh, the always dream. Writing about it. <laughs> it's not too bad <laughs> it's not <laughs> too bad I mean, the only problem is we've got kids in Australia, elderly parents dashing back and forth during a pandemic hasn't been much fun. But when you when you you know outside there are monkeys and uh, exotic things like hornbills and and uh, chipmunks and and squirrels and stuff that I don't get in Australia at all. So I'm still enjoying it a lot. <clears throat>
1: Talk about really quick. This is a little bit of a diversion, but chipmunks.
2: No, I didn't. I shouldn't have said chipmunks. No chipmunks. No, I was thinking of I. I, I would describe them as chipmunks to people who don't know what they are. Okay. They're actually called tree, they're called tree shrews, oh,
1: and they're wow. very
2: clever at getting into our house. They get into our house and steal our bananas. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, for other people, that's just uh, that's just a uh, you know like a, a they're like vermin. To me, they're so exotic. They look look fantastic. Big bushy tails. Yeah.
1: Well, tree. Okay, I'll I'll have to look them up later. What I'll start off with for our listeners is an explanation as to why I got so excited when I saw um, Dr. Jones's uh, book, um, uh, A Clouded Leopard in the Middle of the Road, which is that uh, I think people who listen to the podcast know that my gateway into loving nature and cities and loving nature in general is my love of reptiles and amphibians. Um, One of the common ways of looking for them is basically driving around roads um, at night uh, or uh, other times a day when you might expect them to be active um, and trying to find often snakes, but you know, lots of times frogs and other things crossing roads. uh, And you're sort of driving a big transect through habitat is one way to think of it. And in the process, you get really used to seeing dead things and you get used to seeing the dead animals that you're looking for. And and that's a mixed feeling when you see like a, a dead king snake on the road in New Jersey or something, and you're, that's what you wanted to find alive. But then you know that they're there. It's sort of evidence of occurrence, even if it's a depressing form of evidence. Um, and then you get used to looking at all the things that aren't what you're looking for that are dead on the road. Um, and looking at, you know, Oh, that's a mammal or that's a bird. That's a, looks like a hawk. It looks like an owl. And you sort of get you it's such that now I can't drive anywhere without one eye on the shoulder of the road. Um, IDing what I, they're trying to ID what I see dead. Um, and so, I don't know. It must have been like twenty years ago uh, when I was in grad school. I was paying. I, I was noticing then because near grad school you have time to read literature. Noticing the literature about um, how roads affect, uh, particularly the fauna that lives around roads, and it seemed something that um, to me was like really obvious because I'd sort of been trained in a way to to pay attention to roads. Um, but I think it's stuff that on this part of my brain is also surprised by the facts when you hear about them, it, I think is in the introduction of your book. Um, you've got a line in there that they roads are among the most monumental of all human constructions, yet they are effectively invisible. And it was a great way to sum it up in the sense that I think so much of, so many of us think of them as just lines on a map and, and mm. forget that the, the, the physical reality of them is as, as structures. Mm. Um, and yeah. so uh, I, I, I maybe it will start there. Like talk a little bit about um you know, as a, as a conservation field, how is this um, like woken up? How has it been something that people have have realized is actually a big deal?
2: Well, you know, it hasn't
1: across the board. It, it, you're
2: right. I mean, it, most people don't even think about roads. They're just a play. They're just a, a means for us to go from A to B. You know, to to get up in the morning and drive to work or school or university, wherever you whatever you're doing. They're just simply something that's there. We'd never even think about them. But we have imposed them on the, on, the, on the landscape around us. And it's not just animals, but it's, you know, humans and water and everything that flows naturally is now interrupted by this extraordinarily dense and increasingly large network of roads that go everywhere. And that's something that um, I guess that's one of the things that I'm trying to do with this book is draw attention to that and in the extraordinary impact that that's having. You know, in 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 modern places like you know Australia and, and the states and just about everywhere, the, the 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 density of the network of roads, the you know the the spaces in be in between that aren't covered with roads, is now so tiny. You know, in in the United States, you can't go anywhere that's seven kilometres away from a road, and that's in the most remote places anywhere. You know. And in, in Europe, in, in Netherlands, it's like 100 metres. You know, there's just nowhere left that's hardly anywhere, you know, that, that's not affected by roads. So that's imposed on the landscape. And then if you, if you think across that landscape, it's absolutely critical that things can move. Water can move. Animals can move. Birds can move. Reptiles can move. Frogs can move. And yet in every, every direction, they are going to be confronted by, by a road so the road will be both a physical barrier just as something that they have to get over without getting killed if that's possible or a really risky place because of the, the of the traffic um so you know just the simple movement of just about every type of organism is hugely affected by, by roads and the road kill that you see and that you mentioned earlier is just that's just the visible bit you know that's just that's just the stuff that we see. And, in fact, what's extraordinary is that the majority of animals that get killed in the road are never seen. You know, they get killed at night and then cleaned up in the morning by hawks or or um, crows or, or you know, any, any other animal that cleans them up. So we don't see them. Lots of, get, lots of animals get injured and then die in the, somewhere else away from the road. So I, I'm, I'm trying to get across this thing. This huge structure, global network, um, is having an enormous effect. And we haven't even, you know, we need to wake up to that. And that's what's slowly happening.
1: Tony, uh, this is something I think I'll throw at you that 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 I think a lot of us will be like, well, yeah, but birds can fly. Like, surely roads aren't at all a, a problem for them. But I know this is something that you and I have talked about. So, like, you know, just share maybe a little bit about that. Like, how is it that, that even birds could, could be challenged by roads?
0: So birds are adapted to you know specific conditions right like everything is and you know we, you know yes birds are i guess perhaps the most modal of any taxa taxonomic group on the planet but you know, some birds only really fly to escape a predator they don't really fly to uh birds are migratory you know especially this especially to the tropics you know birds often only fly to avoid a predator or to like they might not, they don't move very far at all. So like, I mean, the classic example is like how rivers um, basically make like the Amazon effectively islands and there's different species between different rivers, but roads have the same effect, right? Like a gnat eater or ant pitta, they don't want to fly in the open at all. So you put a road through their habitat, they, they are not going to cross it. They're, you know, they're going to get picked off by, you know, a forest falcon or a, you know, a tropical occipiter. They, they do not want to cross. They, they've never, ever been in the open. Their entire life has been in dense understory, right? In, in shady, dense forest. So um, roads, you know, create an edge effect. Um, birds that are like edge species that might be nest predators, such as blue jays or nest parasites like brown-headed cowbirds will you know, it brings them into forests that they normally wouldn't have been in. So, I mean, roads have an incredible effect on birds in, in, in many ways.
2: That's um, a really good point. In fact, that's that's what got me going. As I'm an ornithologist, and I didn't even think about this. I I I'm, was forced to, to sort of start taking notice of, you know, stuff like reptiles and mammals because they were being killed in the road. I was mostly birds. And so I didn't – well, birds don't need – I don't need to worry about birds because they'll just fly over the road. Well, it didn't take me long before on my very first big project where, we, where a huge, big overpass was, was put over a four-lane road, I remember thinking, well, you know, the mammals are starting to come on here. And then I was seeing some, some – we've got these little birds called fairy wrens. They're about that big. They're tiny, tiny And so since this
1: is audio, how big – you're showing with your, your fingers something that yeah. to be like a couple <laughs> inches.
2: <laughs> let's, let's say t- t- three inches. You know, three inches from top to bottom, you know, a small bird. Absolutely. And I I love that tail. (laughs) And that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, I just, I I saw these little birds and I thought, oh, here they are. Here's some birds that are going to cross the road. They were coming, hopping their way through the understory on one side of this busy road section. And I thought, wait a minute. Those birds are never going to fly across that. It was like 90 metres of space between this forest and the forest on the other side. And so this study was about the growing vegetation that, we, that had been planted on the top of this overpass for wildlife, and I hadn't, I'm a bird guy, and I hadn't even thought that the birds would be using it and how important that was. And just like Tony said, there is a huge number of smaller birds that are used to living only in the understory areas. To them, the space of the road is nothing to do with the traffic or the noise or the light or anything. It's just the sheer space. There's no way in the world those little birds are ever going to cross anything like that. Um, and there's been lots of done, lots of studies done in all sorts of places. But it was firstly done in the, in the Amazon, which showed there's a huge suite of those smaller passerines which would never cross anything more than forty-five meters. And that's like two lanes.
0: I refer to, to the sloth study in, in near Manaus, right? The single well, large or like, several small? Yeah, yeah that yeah. was
2: that was part of it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it just showed, and, and then suddenly you realise, because this is this whole exercise for me has been, wait a minute, I've never even thought about that. And then you start to realise that everywhere in forest country where there is a road, that's more or less a brick wall. Those birds will never cross that space, never. And they are now isolated in the patches on either side. And for anyone, any of those patches that have got big roads either side of them, those birds will never move and will never be able to be replaced if they, get, if they disappear. So that's just, you know, part of, the, part of the reason why this is such a big topic and a really important global topic to take up because we've got to do something about this. This is, this is the, the isolation and fragmentation that's happening on a global scale is monumental and, and a major part of the, you know, the, the decline and the level of uh, um, extinction that's going on.
1: And you're, you're, guys are, we're, we're sort of touching on something, but I want to make it a little more, more explicit. Can you talk a little bit about when we, we fragment landscapes um, and Tony, you were just alluding to an important study about, uh, about um, how the, the, how the scale of fragmentation matters and what can survive. Um, just talk yeah. a little bit about like what we, we might think of as um, uh, a, a sort of uh, called island biogeography and, and, and road effects. Like how does that, how do those topics come together?
2: Yeah, they do. They, it's, all, it's all to do with the, the level of the landscape. We, we tend to think, ecologists tend to think of just small spaces where, they, where, their, space, where their species lives along the river or in the, on that mountain or whatever it might be. But when you start to think about the needs and the, the movement requirements for lots of different species, migratory species, um, or just big species that need lots of space, like mountain lions or deer or whatever it might be, the ones that have to move through space, through large areas, for various reasons, for various ecological and behavioural reasons, they're the ones that are going to be confronted by the roads everywhere. And so, yeah, so if in a, in a place, and it's usually the, the density of roads is higher next to the cities, obviously, because the further you go away from the cities, you have more rural landscape or, or um, wildland landscape or whatever it might be that doesn't have so many roads. So there is an effect there, but the smaller the space, that is now isolating populations. It depends on what the populations are of, what the taxa are, but every time that there is a a smaller and smaller space that's more and more isolated from the the next space that's available, means that extinction probability is so much higher in those areas. You're just gonna have a wildfire or a disease or a a type type of predator that turns up or or something happened and the the probability of extinction goes up, The probability of replacement goes down because there's nowhere to, for the animals to come and replenish what what's just been lost. So these things collide, you know. It, and and I mean that's probably a good good used word to use with this. <laughs> they, they collide together with a huge impact on biodiversity in general.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I'll I'll cite just my own practical, selfish or self-oriented ex- experiences in, it, it, with with the snakes in a city like Philadelphia. Um, in much of Philadelphia, the one kind of snake that you find is something called a a brown snake, which my, our Australian guest will will think of a much larger snake in Australia. But here, brown snakes what we're talking about are um, little worm and slug eating snakes that top out at about uh, the length of a yeah. pencil. And they yeah. um, and you know there's a, probably a bunch of reasons why they do well in cities, but one of them is they just don't need a lot of space. I mean, you could probably have a a, mm-hmm. a, a Decent sized population living in the interior of one city block if it's got enough vegetation, backyards in the middle of it. Um, Whereas something like a black rat snake, which is one of my favorite snakes, um, which is a a big constrictor, gets to be um, uh, six plus feet, maybe up to close to two meters. um, This is a a snake that covers a lot of ground, and we only find them Mm. in Philadelphia in sort of the fringes of the city along the rivers um, where. From a snake perspective, you've got these long ribbons of green probably along the river that, that gives them some place to go. Um, but mm-hmm. they, they're the kind of snake you find run over on the road in the countryside, um, and there's just no way that they could – a snake could make it to reproductive age without getting run over by cars. Yeah. Their, their defensive yeah. mechanism yeah. is to freeze up.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's funny you 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 were talking about this because – just last week, I was in Medford, New Jersey, which is um, a really cool area. It's uh, um, basically like the closest – the Pine Barrens is a beloved place for um, uh, Billy and I. is pine forest in the interior of New Jersey. And so the suburbs of Philadelphia on the eastern side uh, basically stop at the Pine Barrens because it, mm-hmm. they're protected because of um, this aquifer that they really want to um, – protect and and my friend moved there he's actually i got some traction on my book and and my, i was visiting my friend who is a graphic designer who's helping me refine my proposal because a publisher wants me to refine the proposal for my book so you know we'll, we'll talk about that another podcast but i was visiting him and he lives in medford new jersey in this really cool community and the h HO, the housing you know hoa that was the housing authority or what, what do you call it? what's the hoa stand for again
1: Homeowners association.
0: Homeowners association, which anyway. can
1: be these. If you're used to cities, homeowners associations in subdivisions where the local government didn't feel like taking on more local government functions, they end up being these private associations that take on quasi governmental functions, um, like telling okay. you what what you can do in front of your house in terms of lawn or garden, and it can be yeah. They, okay. For someone who's from a city, I mean, that can be weird.
0: Anyway, this place is really this place is actually kind of cool because it's it's an HOA that the that, that stipulates native plants That's and awesome. it's beautiful and i was walking around with my buddy and there's like you know lakes and, and forests and trails and i was like oh this is the medford new jersey is historically like known as the closest population of timber rattlesnakes to philadelphia and i said and he's like oh really they'll be here and i was like and without even thinking i was just like yeah not just many roads Oh, right. it just rolled off my tongue um, you're right you know and <laughs> yeah, like, yeah 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 because they're, they're, it's like the home range of that species if it if there's too many roads in it they're going to get yeah become pancakes on the road it's just it's just not going to be there and it, it, it's so sad but yeah like there's just it's just you know road density of roads in the, If there's too many roads and a certain amount of acreage or hectare i guess <laughs> uh to everybody else in the world um it's going to mean that, like, you know, a large, fat, you know, um, a meter and a half snake um, that's very thick, one of the thickest snakes, you know, yeah. in our in and our slow. area.
1: They're uh, slow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very deliberate not, Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's just not going to. They can't persist yeah. where there's t- too high density of roads because they're going to get run over.
1: And then yeah. one, one other quick, um, just a, a callback to a previous episode we did recently where we interviewed a, a white-tailed deer. Um, we were talking about whitetail deer with a guy named Bert Blossey from Cornell University. Um, and they, they've done studies collaring deers, putting transmitters on them. And we were yeah. talking about the that. I mean, and, and whitetail deer in, in Eastern North America are doing great. Um, but we were mentioning, yeah. he was mentioning that the, the, in a way their primary predator is, is motor vehicles. Um, yeah. And uh, we're used to seeing dead deer along the road, but his point was that. Actually, there's a as as um, Daryl just pointed out, there's a much greater fraction once you, when you're tracking them that you realize get hit by a car, stagger into the woods, um, and then take two days to die um, under a, yeah. a in, in a thicket. Um, and it's so. Uh, and I I'm conscious of partly of time and also just that that your book isn't just about all the things that are terrible about roads. Um, mm. And I'd say half of it is about solutions. And so, um, I, let's, let's, try to shift there. I mean, I, I think you've, you've, um, I've jealous reading your book about all the places you've gone <laughs> to look at roads, um, and look at, at crossings and other kinds of things. So I guess maybe introduce, uh, you know, a couple of your favorite, we'll start there. Like a, a few of your favorite, um, solutions for, for, for how to, how to deal, how to s- mitigate the problems of roads through habitat.
2: Cool. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's, that's the point. I could have written a really, really depressing book that just was all about how terrible roads are. I'd say how that. <laughs> yeah, I know, absolutely. But that, but but the point of it, this, and and um, you know, this was really something important. We 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 probably had enough of doom and gloom stuff. You know, there is some really, really good things going on, and and they need to be highlighted as well. As just, you know, we can we can say, isn't it great to feel so miserable all the time? or we can actually say there are some really genuine huge things going on that are positive in this in this space and so right, yeah so i've established i just wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of just how big an impact these things were and i think i'd do that pretty well and if you sort of got through the halfway through the book and thought shit what are we going to do now um there is there is good news so it and it doesn't make take much, much. um it does it takes a bit of will because the, you have to work out what, how can we get animals safely across this thing, this place, this flat surface that lots of animals want to avoid? And if they try to move across it, they'll just get flattened. So what else can we do? Well, there's, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of things, but they start with under the, under the road. And, and every road in the world has got tunnels and culverts and pipes to deal with the water that always crosses. And, and there's water engineering stuff to do with roads is enormous. I mean, it's one of the most important things. If you get the road, engine, the water engine management stuff wrong, you'll have an under, under, uh, undermined road that will collapse if you don't get the, you know, the water flowing properly. So there's tunnels, in, and they've been used by the local animals for, ever since they first went in. You know, there's no, no doubt about that. They've just been going through them. Um, but some, a lot of animals, especially mammals, don't like getting their feet wet. So and a lot of those tunnels and and pipes and things do have water they're they're either damp or full of water all the time, so they're not much good so there's so what has been happening is there's been special pipes put in or special culverts put in or whatever or or ledges that go underneath the along the along the sides of the culvert that allow animals to get across the road under the under the road safely
1: i mean there are some of them that have like logs like like sort of suspended oh, yeah. through the culvert mm. for creatures that like yes,
2: right. yeah. and so there's been a lot of work done on what does your you know your favorite thing require to to get through the through the place so i'll i'll just talk about some reptiles because i know you might be vaguely interested in that um there's a place where there's uh, a, it's a big square culvert so it's just a standard box culvert but it's got three ledges the top ledge so it comes down like Looking at it through, it's just a big square going underneath the road. There's a ledge at the top and then a step and then a step and then a step. And then the fourth step, the lower step, is where the water can flow. But the next step up is the widest one, and that's just concrete with some sand on it. And that's where the mammals can walk across, so the deer and the, or, in our case, kangaroos or you know, possums or whatever. They can cross it as well. But the top level is dry sand with rocks. And it's, it's ex- specifically um, designed for reptiles to move and s- hide and little places where they can, you know, s- set aside and go into a hollow log or whatever and allows them to slowly get, work their way across un- under the road. So there's a, there's a whole science now of what surfaces will animals of different sorts use when we put them up? Because oh, it's always concrete. But, but a lot of animals don't like moving along dry, cold concrete. It's pretty horrible for them. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on about what what can be done there. So the underpass work is that's pretty straightforward. that's just there's always been tunnels under roads. It starts to get really interesting when we talk about over the roads because there to to put a structure completely over the top of the road is a big undertaking. It's an engineering undertaking, it costs a lot of money. There has to be really strong reasons for it to be there. And initially it was, you know, there was a lot of skepticism and I was, what would have been one of the people that said, sure, this is going to work. Why would animals, well, why would any think, animals
1: go? In particular, I, sorry for interrupting, but I was thinking about this when I was reading your book about the, but the structures for dormice, which mm. are not large animals. And you're looking at these like contraptions that are these like cable bridges with weird triangular cross section, like tube. I don't know yeah. what to call them, like, like over roads in Europe. Talk maybe talk a yeah. little bit about those. That's as a counterintuitive crossing device, you know.
2: Yeah, well, that, well so that's a different sort. So uh, the, 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 the one I'll get back to is the is the standard like a bridge that you drive. Oh, sure, under, yeah. You drive, <laughs> you drive but, but these <laughs> other ones they're called canopy bridges, and there's a whole series of all, all sorts of animals which are they only live in the canopy of the trees. They, if they possibly can, they will never come to the to the ground because the predators yeah. are down there. They're not used to it. It's a it's a, it, and living here in a, in the jungle. I mean, I'm very aware. Well, now that this. you see
1: <laughs> those tree shrews, yeah. Yeah.
2: That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there are you know just not far from here, there are rainforests which is where the trees are 50 meters high, and so, and the monkeys and things that live there do not want to come down to the ground to get, get across. But and so and and there you see it all the time. There's there's a road going right through the middle, and so the the monkeys have to come to the surface. They look down. They've got to climb down 50 meters, cross the road, if they survive that climb back up. You know, so. All that sort of stuff. So there's a whole array of things, including this dormouse bridge. This one blew me away because of the a level of experimentation that went into it, and and it works. It works really well. But it's a they found out a way. It's it's modular, so you buy sections that are in triangles, um, and you sit fit them all together as as wide as you need to, to get cross across your road, and and the, the triangle the, the base of the triangle is where the animals walk. And so it's got little places where the animals can hide. If there's a predator, they can go into a little place and and hang out for a little bit. Uh, There's cameras everywhere showing exactly what's moving back and forth. Um, And and there's a surface. It's kind of like a rough pretend grass surface um, on the the bottom layer. And and so they put it through and I was involved in I I was lucky enough to visit the experimental site, which was in um, the Isle of Wight, just um, in the the English channel, channel, Channel. And that was fascinating, seeing all the things that are going on there. Although they they designed it for the for the for the dormouse. Now a dormouse is a it's it's probably chipmunk sized. I'll, I'll use that term now, yeah. so that people it's a chipmunk sized rodent, gorgeous little thing. It's called the hazel mouse, the hazel dormouse in in in, the, in Great Britain. This uh, and there's a rare closely related species in Europe, which works as well, called the edible dormouse. Now you know. Think I think why well, it might be called the edible door mouse
1: because the um, Romans love to eat uh, them yeah
2: <laughs> that, that, that's exactly right you can actually get a you know a, 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 a skewer with dozen of them on roasted over the over the fire um but no they, this thing worked I mean I it like it's so my first impression and it's the impression that just about everybody has is you think look at this gigantic over in this structure that's made entirely of human stuff metal yeah. and big, why would anyone animal use this? You know, why, why would they do it? But they do. They, they use it all the time. If it's, if it's appropriately designed, they use them. And that's probably the first thing to say is that um, every, well, you know, 99% of the structures that have been put in for animals get used from day one. They just, they, animals are waiting for the opportunity. They know they can't safely cross a road somewhere. Give them a chance to do something that they've never done before, and they will use it. And so these things work, and they work really well.
1: That's awesome. Um, and uh, I'll I'll chime in for some lower tech things that I I just for folks who might be listening locally. Um, it, there are a few examples I know of of places where, particular when it's amphibian breeding seasons, um, yep. and when certain species, mm-hmm. there are lots of species of amphibians, at least in our temperate areas, where where they'll, they'll breed en masse in a short period of time. So you got a, a few weeks, there's going to be a ton of them on the roads. Um, and yeah. so I know through some state parks and also even in a, a neighborhood in Philadelphia, Roxborough, um, there's a place where they shut the road down um, for, f- and th- these aren't major highways. These are small roads, yeah. um, but yeah. still that's, that's a, it, it, that's to me, it's a, it's a very heartening low tech um, solution. And, yeah. um, while we're waiting for them to build the proper <laughs> uh, a yeah. toad underpass. Um, but it's, so that, yeah. it's another class of solutions that I think are, are worth mentioning.
2: That's um, right. And I mean, there are lots of places, especially in Europe, where those things, those traditional annual events, have led to the local community all getting out at night and on the rainy nights with buckets and things and loading up lots of toads, or, or in this case, the one thing I'm, I'm thinking about, salamanders. You know p- piling them in with gloves yeah. into, into buckets, walking them across, dumping them on the other side of the road, but nearly in all of those places now, which were well known and had, you know, had for hundreds of years, and caused billions of animals to die. Um, those are now almost all of them have got their own special under the road amphibian oh. underpass. You know, so but wow. they do that. They, Europe, they, it's just a different matter of there. Yeah. I mean. Th- that Europe is where all the action has been and where all, everybody in the world is is um catching up with Europe but but, but Europe you've got to remember has been through some ca- pretty catastrophic times and so they they face the reality that there's almost nothing left that's natural you know um it's been ca- it's been devastated by world wars and intensive agriculture for centuries so anything that's left that's even vaguely ha- half nice is in, indescribably important, and so they'll do anything they possibly can to save it. So the the motivation is very strong to, to build these things. In um, yeah,
1: I think in, in both of our countries, we get lulled into a kind of complacency by the, the how yeah. much open space there seems to be in other That's parts right. of the country.
2: Yeah, it's, it's always that. Yeah, no, it'll be fine. You know, we might be killing lots of animals here, but somewhere down the track, they'll be fine. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah, yeah. You can't have an illusion
1: point, in Denmark, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know exactly what's going on. I yeah. might, I might just return to something that you first started with, and that was there is the general idea that uh, when you see roadkill, it's like a sampling of the abundance of the of the wildlife. Oh, that's good around. point. Yeah. So lots of people just say that's fine. If you see lots of dead things on the road, great. That's because that's there are lots of things that are there. Now that that is the case in a lot of cases. That's that is the case, but only if there's not a, a reason for if the animals are. are un, the, the reason that the animals are going to the road is just is simply to cross it. But that's not the case in lots of lots of situations. They're going to the road because it might be attractive for reasons such as other animals can, that you want to eat are we, already dead there. You might be attracted to the to the to the road till it's there. It might be you're a reptile and you want to. It's a nice, hard, um, you know, a, a warm surface to warm up a bit, and yep. so you might just hang out there in the middle of the day, which maybe not a good idea. Um, but so, so there are lots of reasons like that, and it turns out that there are, uh, there are lots of examples now where the impact of the of the collisions with vehicles has led to local extinction of of animals. Yeah, because so it's not it's not just this. You know, don't worry about it. There's plenty of them there type thing. Oh, no, There's a classic reasoning.
1: example I think yeah. of is, is – is it happens a lot of places in the world, but where you have female aquatic turtles looking to oh, nest. Yeah, and if you've yeah. road along a wet area, the, the, the classic situations will they'll cross the road trying to look for somewhere to dig a nest, and you don't have yeah. to kill that many. For long-lived yeah. – um, uh relatively slowly reproducing creature you don't have to kill that yeah. many reproductive females to cause the t- population to start to tank um uh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. and
1: um but and just I, simple I, basic basic stuff
2: like if the animals are slow you know the, the probability of getting hit on the road is just so much higher you know?
1: yeah. yeah yeah um so one more time i think we'll we'll start wrapping this we'll wrap this up um I think we're going to do a part two with Daryl Jones um, talking about a different topic because he's honestly got like five topics we could talk about. We're going to limit ourselves to two. Um, and so first, I want to thank you for coming on. And um, one more time, what's the name of the book?
2: The, the, the name of the book, and, and this is you know worthwhile thinking about, why did it co- I call it this? The, a Clouded Leopard in the Middle of the Road, Cornell University.
1: Yep. And, and I'll say there's – we'll leave that as a teaser. There's a great anecdote which, which gets to the, the title – Um, And uh, for, for one of the most, to my mind, special animals you could encounter anywhere.